Father, we are so blessed to have your holy word and to be able to open this Bible and to believe that every word of this Bible is truth, that there's nothing here that's been devised, there's nothing here that's a cunningly devised fable, it is all your truth. And Lord, uh, some people question that. I'm sure there's some people in this room that question that every word of this Bible is your word. But show us today in this great lesson in Second Peter how we can know that this is your word. We can be sure that this is your word, that above all other books, that, that this is where we find truth, Lord. And, and you are the truth. You are the light, Lord. You are our hope. And, our, uh, and we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all that he's done for us, Lord, and how he's opened our eyes to your truth. And so I ask today, Lord, that by your spirit that you open our eyes and that we see these truths that you would have us to learn. And I just ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Peter, today in, in the defense of the gospel, is going to give us a pretty adept description of, of uh, most religions. He's going to call them cunningly devised fables. And you got to ask the question, why has mankind been so quick to uh, turn from the truth of God and come up with all of these false religions? Why, why is that? I mean, why do we have so many false religions in the world? I mean, it's really hard to find truth in this world. We know the truth is in the Word of God, and we're going to see why we know that today. But why has mankind rejected the truth of God for all of these crazy religions? Well, we, we find out why in the book of Romans, and that's why I said I wanted you to turn to Romans. And, and let's start there in chapter number 1 and begin down in verse number 20 and listen to what he says. Paul speaking here, he says, For since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes are clearly seen. I mean, when you... See the sun come up in the morning. And that sun is placed in the exact position that keeps this world from freezing and keeps it from burning up. If it was any closer, we would burn up. Actually, in Lafayette, I think we are burning up today. <laughs> I mean, if it was any closer, we would really be burning up. But if it was any further out, we would all freeze to death. And so you wake up every morning, you see the sun, you see the moon, you see the stars. You see a newborn baby, you look at your own body, and, you, and you've got to say there is a God. But man doesn't want to believe that there's a God, and so for, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen and being understood by the things that are made, by the creation, even his eternal power. In the creation, we see the eternal power of God and the Godhead. So that we are, that mankind is without excuse. I'm going to tell you something. If you're here today and, 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 and you don't believe in Jesus Christ and one day you stand before that great white throne judgment, you can't say, well, man, I was taught evolution and I was taught that there wasn't a God. There is no excuse. No excuse. Because although they knew God and they knew that there was a God, they did not glorify him as God nor were they thankful. You know, that's what really bothers me about the United States of America right now. All that God has given us 
in this great country and we have no gratitude right now. It's as if we deserve everything that we get. Well, guess what? We deserve some of the things we're getting right now. Amen. And he says, he says, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. They became dark. Let me tell you what. You turn from the true and living God, and let me tell you where you're heading. You're heading into darkness, into deep darkness. A more an individual turns from God, the darker their life gets. The more a country turns from God, the darker the country gets. And they change the glory. No, going on, verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Agnosis, agnostics. They became fools. That's the, the word uh, from which we get agnostic. A fool is, is the same as an agnostic. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into all sorts of crazy things. All sorts of crazy things. And they made him into likenesses of men. They made him into birds. They made him into four-foot animals. And all sorts of creeping things. Now, it's amazing how the creepy gods that a darkened mind can come up with. I mean, it's amazing what some people will worship. Remember the Egyptians? They worshiped everything. I mean, they worshiped frogs. They worshiped bugs. They worshiped rivers. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped the moon. They worshiped, they, they worshiped all sorts of things. But then people got wise. You remember the early age of enlightenment and you had the Greeks and the Romans and they, had, uh, they, they believed in searching out truth and, uh, from anywhere but God and they searched for truth in all sorts of ways and they came up with their own religion. Have you ever studied Greek religions? You talk about some crazy stuff. The Romans and Greeks basically had about the same uh, uh, Religion, and we were in we were in Rome this back in June, and we saw this the Pantheon where they had supposedly had all of these they worshipped all of these various different gods, and and uh, uh, their main deity was this god named Zeus. The Romans called him Jupiter, but they called him Zeus. Let me let me just read you one account of this religion of Zeus, and here's what it says: an ancient account. He says he is the king of gods, the ruler of Mount Olympus. He is the God of the sky, thunder and lightning, law and order and faith. He is the youngest son of Cronus, or time, and Rhea, or motherhood, the God of, goddess of motherhood. He overthrew his father and took the throne of heaven for himself. His, he is a regal older man with a dark beard. He, he always carries with him a royal scepter and a lightning bolt. His sacred animals are the eagle and the bull. His siblings are Hades, the god of the underworld, Poseidon, the god of the sea, Demeter, the goddess of agriculture. Among his children are Athena, the goddess of wisdom and war, Apollo, the god of music, art, and medicine, and sun, and, and knowledge. Hermes, the god of trade and sports. Well, Hermes is the god of sports, that's good. And the god of, to the underworld. Hercules is the god of strength, Dionysus the god of wine, ritual, and religious ecstasy. Now one day if you really get bored and you want to read 
about the ancient Greeks and their gods and goddesses. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy stuff. And then read about the creation, what they believe about the creation. And they, they believe that Zeus, uh, uh-uh, no, Zeus didn't do it. Actually, they go back to, to the, Zeus's ancestors, Chaos and Nyx or Night and Eurebus, uh, who is the god of darkness. And these gods sprang up from the void. They just sprung up one day, and here were these gods. Uh, along with uh, them came Eros, the god of love, and Gaia, the earth god, and Amera, the day god. And Eurebus, the god of darkness, and Nyx, the goddess of night, had sexual union. And guess what they came up? They came up with Himera, the god of light. And then there was life on the earth. You believe that story? No, you don't believe that story. How ridiculous. I mean, how ridiculous. Modern men would never be so foolish as that. <laughs> well, let's talk about a few of the modern religions. Mormonism. Mormonism. You know what the Mormons believe? The Mormons believe one day that you, if you're a good Mormon, you will rule your own planet. I remember when I lived in Las Vegas and and I would go into these homes of these Mormons and they would have, I didn't know anything about Mormonism at the time, and I'd go into the homes and they would all have these, these pictures of these beautiful planets. And I remember asking one one time, what, what is this picture you've got with this planet? I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous, some strange planet. They said, well, that's our vision of the planet that we're going to rule one day uh, in the afterlife. That's some silly stuff. And then you look at, you look at uh, Islam. You look at Islam, you know what, they believe in Islam, at least, you're, and we're seeing that in the news right now, they believe that if you martyr yourself by killing infidels, that you will go to paradise and you will have 70 virgins. virgins. And they were running a special last month. They gave you double virgins if you martyred anybody. I'm not joking. They actually were running a special during Ramadan where you got extra virgins if you murdered uh, uh, infidels. And, and so what do they believe? They believe in salvation by terror. Salvation by murder. Salvation by martyrdom. And then you look at the Buddhists and the Hindus. They believe that salvation comes from the freedom from what they call samsara, which is this constant reincarnation process. Every time you die, you come back as something different. So if you die and you've been bad, you come back as something worse. Some people come back as roaches. That's why they don't step on roaches. That's why they don't kill cows, because they believe that might be one of their ancestors. That might have been the, their ex-wife, you know, that roach. So they don't, they, well, actually, they might step on them. They didn't like them. And, and they believe that salvation, this, this, this release from reincarnation, where you become part of, the, part of God, almost a pantheistic view where you become part of God, this release from this constant ordeal of reincarnation comes through what they call the margus. And, and there's three, margus it represents three ways where you may be liberated. And you, and, and you have to perform all three. One is good works. And one is uh, 
a knowledge of their sacred text, and the other is a devotion to one of the Hindu gods. You've got to be devoted to one of the Hindu gods. And if you study the Hindu gods, they are demonic gods. And so they worship all of these very gods, various gods. Well, that's Eastern religion. Most of that's Eastern religion for the Mormonism. I mean, in the West, we're a lot smarter than that, right? I mean, we're living in the age of enlightenment, not the early enlightenment. We're living in the age of, the, of enlightenment. And we're way too sophisticated to believe tales like that because we're materialists. Uh, we're humanists. We're evolutionists. But think about it. You know, the evolutionists and the atheists, they worship God. They worship the God of the Mother Nature. You hear about Mother Nature all the time as if somehow there's some force called Mother Nature. And the spirit of Mother Nature is chance. And, the, and, and they worship the earth as if it's God. And let me ask you a question. Which is easier to believe that some Greeks' gods popped up out of nowhere and, and created the universe or that a living cell popped up from primordial slime somewhere and one day through evolution produced a human being. Both of those religions are absurd. All false religion are, religions are absurd. Well, that brings us back to Christianity. I mean, what makes us so sure that we're different? What makes us so sure that our Stories, the biblical stories that we study, are nothing more than cunningly devised fables. What makes us so sure? I mean, you look at the Bible, there's some, there's some awful bold claims in there about, about the supernatural. You go all the way back to Genesis, and in Genesis it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days by his word. He spoke these things into existence. And a lot of people believe when we tell them that, they'll, they'll laugh at you and say that's nothing more than a cunningly devised fable. I mean, we're told in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus created all things. All things were created by him, for him, and through him, all powers and principalities. Jesus even created the devil and his demons. And, and you got to ask yourself, I mean, I don't see any devils not many anyway in this room i don't see any <laughs> demons i mean is that just a fable how many of you believe there's really a devil well, good how many of you believe there are really demons i hear them all the time i don't know about you but they love to harass me i don't know if they harass you but, you know, you got to look at that from the outside. you got to say, why do you guys believe that? I mean, if, uh, let's play devil's advocate here. Why, why do you believe that there are de demons and devils? Why do you believe that God created the earth in seven days, that by his very word, he spoke the word into existence? I mean, look at the nation of Israel. Look at the history of Israel. I mean, how they were formed from Abraham. I mean, just look where they started. I mean, how old was Abraham when he had Isaac? He was 100 years old. A 100-year-old man can't have a child with a 90-year-old woman, can he? Yeah, if God wants him to. But then they, this nation was formed, and they ended up in Egypt, and, and uh, they ended up as slaves in Egypt, and then there were 2 million of them, 
And Moses took them across the Red Sea as God parted the Red Sea, took them out into the wilderness where there wasn't water and there wasn't food, and they were fed and they drank for 40 years. That sounds pretty absurd to me. And you can understand where people believe that's absurd. Then later on you look at the kings and you see all the things that happened during the, during the, the times of the kings. I mean David. Little David slaying a giant with a slingshot. Does those kind of things really happen? Jonah. Did Jonah really get swallowed by a whale? I mean, do you really believe that? And then maybe the most unbelievable story of all, in fact, it is the most unbelievable story of all, is that God emptied himself of his glory and he became a man. And he became a man and he didn't take control of the earth you know what he did he humbled himself and died on a cross you believe that Amen. he became a criminal I mean you guys believe that y'all really believe that and they put him in a grave and he was raised on the third day y'all believe that Amen. man what's wrong with y'all that sounds like cunningly devised fables to me I mean, how can you be so sure? Now, last week, and let's go back to 2 Peter, head back towards Revelation. You'll be close to Revelation and come to 2 Peter. And listen to what Peter told us last week. He says, he says, knowing this, in verse number 14, he says, I'm in chapter 1, he says, knowing that surely I must put off my tent, this old body, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me, and I might, we talked about that last week, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my exodus. That's the word there. You, you know what Peter was saying? He was saying that after he died, he was going to exit this earth, and he was going to go, and he was going to be with Jesus. He believed that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do y'all believe that? Why did Peter believe that? What made him so sure? How could he be sure? Well, that's what he's going to show us here as we begin our text today. Go with me to verse number 16. Listen to what he says. He says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know why Peter was confident of his exodus? You know why he was confident that to be absent from the body was to be present from the Lord? Because he was confident of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was confident of the power of Jesus Christ to raise him from the dead. He was confident of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he was confident that Jesus Christ would come for him when he died. And he was confident because he was confident in the word of God. He believed the stories in this book and he knew, as he says here, that we did not follow cunningly devised Fables. But where did he get that confidence? Where did he get that confidence? And that's what we want to explore here a little bit today. Where do you get your confidence? You sound like a confident group of people. Where do you all get that confidence? Well, I'm going to tell you where you get that confidence. Number one is 
You get it the same way as Peter gets it. He was eyewitness of the glory and truth of Jesus Christ. That's number one. That's where he got his confidence. He was an eyewitness of the glory and truth of Jesus Christ. In verse number 19, the light had shone in his dark soul. That's the second reason you're confident. If you're not here today and you're not confident, that's why you're not confident, because the light has not shone in your soul. So the light is shown in his dark soul. And then the third reason is this. We have the sure prophetic word confirmed. Verses uh, 19, 20, and 21. We'll look at that here in just a minute. We have the sure prophetic word confirmed. Now let's look at this first reason for Peter's confidence, that he was eyewitness of, of the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 17. He says, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when Jesus received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When did that happen? Do you remember the story? When did it happen? It happened on the Mount of Transfigure. Figuration, right? And we're told about that in Matthew. We're told in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you remember what happened? Peter took, I mean Peter, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mount. We don't know the exact mountain. Some people say they do, but we don't know exactly where the Mount of Transfiguration was. But when he was up there, he was transfigured. And the word literally means he was metamorphosized. He was totally changed right before Peter, James, and John's eyes. I mean, he was changed in a way that he was glorified. You could see his glory. You could, they, they described it as best they could describe it as if his clothes were lit up, and they didn't have flashlights back then, but he just lit up. I mean, he was, he was pure white, and everything just lit up, and so he was glorified. But that wasn't the only thing that happened. Moses and Elijah stood there with him. Can you imagine that? Moses, could you imagine Jesus and Elijah and Moses appearing on this stage right now in their glory? Could you imagine that? And here are Peter, James, and John. They had never seen anything like this before in their life. And all of a sudden they see him glorified and, and they see Moses and Elijah. They're talking to him about his exodus about his departure, about Jesus' exodus. And I don't know what they had, were telling him or if they were just encouraging him or what they were saying to him, but they were talking to him about his exodus, we're, we're told in Luke. And Peter, James, and John were flabbergasted. And, they, and you would think they wouldn't have said a word, but nothing ever stopped Peter from saying something. <laughs> Peter had to say something, and I can't blame him. I mean, here they are up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah in their glorified state. And Peter says, wow, can it get any better than this? This is really cool. This is really cool. And I want this to last a while, guys. And so what I want us to do is build three tabernacles for you guys, one for each of you. We'll stay outside and we'll, we'll talk to you when you get up in the morning. But you, we're going to build three tabernacles for you and uh, we're just going to stay here a while. And what always happened when Peter spoke up, the Lord had to correct him. 
And the Father's voice came out of heaven. And remember what the Father's voice said. He said, this is my beloved son. This is my son. Not Moses, not Elijah. This is my son. Worship him. Hear him. He's my son. And I have no doubt from that moment, Peter had a better understanding of just who Jesus was because the Father had verified that to him by that voice, and to John, and to James, by that voice that came down from heaven. The Father attested to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's one of the reasons that Peter had confidence in the gospel. That's one of the reasons that he had confidence in the word of God because he was an eyewitness to the glory of Jesus Christ. He was an eyewitness to the fact that God had attested that he's the son of God. Well, pastor, we don't have that proof. I mean, we aren't eyewitnesses to his glory. I mean, that's what somebody might say at this point. And you know what I'd say back to you? Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself because if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you might not have seen his glory with with your physical eyes, but you've seen his glory with your spiritual eyes. And the Father has come to you, and you know what he said to you? This is my beloved son. He is God Almighty. Worship him. Hear him. Hear his word. And if you're an eyewitness to that glory, then you have no doubt that Jesus is God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 2 that God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. And he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that no man calls Jesus Lord, Jehovah. No man calls him that except by the Spirit of God. You can only know Jesus is God By the Spirit of God. And he also, he he comes back and he says no one can call him a curse. No one can say otherwise if they do have the Spirit of God. Let me tell you something. You could take me out and put me on a torture rack and you might get me to deny Jesus. But deep in my heart, you can't get me to change my, my heart. I know he's God. Man, I know he's God. I know that with all my heart because I'm an eyewitness of his glory. I've seen his glory with my spiritual eyes. And look at what he says in verse number 19. He says in verse number 19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Dark place. Note that. Until the day dawns and the morning star. Who's the morning star? Jesus is the morning star. Rises in your heart. What's he mean rises in your heart? It means he rises in your heart and you're a witness of his glory. In other words, you get into the prophetic word and a light shines in the dark place. What's the dark place? Your soul. My soul. Man, you, know, you realize how dark our souls are without the Lord. I mean, you take the Spirit of God out of, out of me, you think I'm bad now, you, you would absolutely hate me. I mean, I'm a dark, dark person without the Spirit of God. But the light has shone in my soul. How can we be confident that we believe? Because a light has shone in a dark place. 
in our souls. And the only way that you could see Jesus as God is to have your soul enlightened. Over in Matthew 4, hang there at 2 Peter and flip to Matthew 4 for a minute. You know, I hate to even share this, but because I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging or something, because, boy, I've learned a lot since that day happened. But when I got saved, I actually saw with my physical eyes the glory of Jesus Christ. I saw it. And it changed everything in my life. And, and I used to think, man, that was just a really special conversion. I mean, I was a hardcore evil person when God saved me, and it took a lot to save me. And I asked God, I said, God, if you'll show me that you're real, I'll give you my life. And he showed me that he was real. But you know what I've learned since then? My experience is no different from your experience. The same thing that happens to me happens to every unbeliever that gets saved. Listen to what it says in in chapter 4 of Matthew, and he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 9. Look down at verse number 16. He says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. What's that great light? Jesus Christ. When you got saved, you saw the light. You saw his glory. You saw his majesty. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, where were you sitting before you were saved? You were in the shadow of death. You were dying. You were dead. Light has dawned. The morning star has dawned. Who's the light? The light is Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ say about himself? Going back to 2 Peter now. What did Jesus Christ say about himself? He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me no longer walks in darkness, but has the light of light. The light of light. The only true light. Man, when you receive Jesus Christ, you receive light in your dark soul. And if you're truly saved, the glory of Jesus Christ has shone in your soul. And you've seen him with your spiritual eyes and the morning star has arisen in your heart and he saved you and now you're beginning to walk in the light as he is in the light. And that means you walk in the truth of his word. Now if you're in this room today, apparently most of you are saved, if not all of you are saved, so I'm I'm, preaching to the choir here, but if you're in this room today and, and this word does seem Greek to you, not, you might call yourself a Christian. But listen to me real carefully. If this word just seems Greek to you, when I say Greek, I mean strange. You can't figure it out. And, and, and it all seems like, it, it seems like it's the hodgepodge of a mess, a bunch of cunningly devised fables. In other words, I'm going to believe part of it, but don't, don't tell me God created the heavens and earth in seven days. Don't tell me that kind of stuff. Well, if you don't believe that, then it's because the light has not dawned in your soul. And, and, and let me warn you, if that light has not dawned in your soul, you want to you get to the light. And all you have to do to fix that situation is use common sense. I'm going to tell you, it's just nothing more than common sense. 
if you will just read this word with an open, light, open mind, I will tell you the light will dawn in your soul. And you will see Jesus just like everybody else in this room has seen Jesus. But I don't, Pastor, I don't believe this is the word of God. As far as I'm concerned, most of these things are just cunningly devised fables. Well, if you believe that way, well, you really haven't studied this Bible. And that leads us to the third proof of our faith in Jesus Christ. The third proof that this word is the word of God and not just cunningly devised fables. All we have to do to fix that situation, like I said, is to just use some common sense. And here's what he says. Look what he's called the word. He says, and we have the prophetic word confirmed. Did you catch that? Two things I want you to see about that. First of all, when he says prophetic, what's he speaking of when he says prophetic? It predicts the future. It's the word of God, thus saith the Lord. And it's confirmed. What's it mean, confirmed? It means that it's been confirmed that the prophecies are true. You can prove that this is the prophetic word because in every single prophecy in this book that's been fulfilled, it's been fulfilled 100% the way God said it would be fulfilled. He is 100% accurate in his predictions. And that's why, again, ignorance is not an excuse for not believing. Because the fulfillment of this, these prophetic words, the fact that they're confirmed, confirms that this word is true. You know, there are over 1,800 prophecies in the Bible, 350 of which are about the coming of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Amen. And they have all been fulfilled to the T, exactly as the Bible said they would be fulfilled. You know what? You go to Psalms chapter number 22, and you read that. Don't do that right now. But you go to Psalms 22, and you know what you're going to read? You're going to read Jesus speaking from the cross you're going to see him looking out over the people and talking about his situation. You're going to see the horrific uh, trial that he was going through by reading Psalm 22. It was fulfilled exactly as he said it would be fulfilled. It's like it, he, he said it and then he went back and gave it to David to write down. He, he wrote it down after he came off the cross. How can he do that? Because God is in eternity. God's not bound by time. Real easy to explain. I'm sure you got that. That's the way I explained it. That's a tough one to explain. But when you see Jesus in Theophanies in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, I mean, how does he do that if he wasn't, if he wasn't born to Bethlehem? Because he's outside of time. He's lived forever. He's the everlasting God. Let me tell you what you do sometime. If you've never done this, you go to Daniel chapter 9, and you don't have to be a math scholar to do this, but, or go get the tape when we were in Daniel chapter 9. You know that you can calculate from Daniel's prophecy 
you can calculate the very day that Jesus came into Jerusalem to be crucified. It's real easy to do. Doesn't take much of a, a, a thought to even do it. That's how simple it is. I mean, you got to dig a little bit, but you can do that. Read the book of Isaiah. It's often called the Gospel of Isaiah. And, 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 the, and the book of Isaiah is all about Jesus Christ. I mean, it's all about his death and his burial and his resurrection and what he did for us on the cross. But it was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus even came to this earth. How could Isaiah write that? Well, let me tell you how the liberals approach that. They approach that and they say that there's three Isaiahs. There's one Isaiah who was the real Isaiah. Then there was this fake Isaiah named Deutero-Isaiah. And, and he wrote some things in, about the future after the fact. So he was a fraud. And then there was Trypto-Isaiah, the third Isaiah. They love these big terms in, in uh, academia. But it was Trypto-Isaiah. And Trypto-Isaiah was born somewhere in the late first century, and he wrote much of what we have in Isaiah. And this, this theory was prominent in theological circles for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But God messed them up really bad. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and in the Dead Sea Scrolls is a full copy of Isaiah. They call it the Great Isaiah Scroll. And it was written in 150 B.C. before Christ was born. The prophetic word is confirmed. There's no other religious books in the world that predict the future like the Bible. And I can read Isaiah and I can read Ezekiel and I can read Revelation and not only do I see all these things that are fulfilled I see some events that are on the horizon and I'll tell you what I can read those things that it's almost like reading the newspaper and because these other prophecies have every single one of them have been fulfilled to the T guess what every single prophecy in Revelation is going to be fulfilled to the T every single prophecy in Daniel that hasn't been fulfilled yet is going to be fulfilled to the T I mean if he could name the day that Jesus would come into Jerusalem to be crucified on the cross. He could certainly name the day when, when uh, the Antichrist, or name the time and season when the Antichrist is going to come on the scene, and that's what he does. And I believe we're living in those days. I don't believe we have much time here left Amen. because we have the prophetic word, and it's been confirmed. Now, If these prophecies can be that accurate, who had to write this book? God had to write it. There's no doubt God wrote the whole book. And that's where Peter heads next. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is a private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. It was not cunningly devised fables. It's, there's not a word in this book that's a fraud. But holy men, men who were separated by God for the, this purpose, 
spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. These scriptures are not cunningly devised fables. They came from God himself as he moved holy men by his Holy Spirit to write these words. You know what's absolutely amazing to me? Jesus. Jesus told him what to write. Can you believe that? Jesus who died on the cross told him what to write about his death on the cross. Go back to 1 Peter. Don't believe that? Go back to 1 Peter. We just got, we, just, we, we were just here recently. I love this passage. Look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Of this salvation, the salvation that we've been given, that's spoken of in this word, that was spoken of by the prophets, has been confirmed through us and through Jesus Christ. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied the grace that would come to you. They didn't even understand what they were prophesying. Isaiah didn't understand. David, when he started speaking about these strange things that were happening below him, he didn't even know what he was writing. And, and he wondered. He knew about the coming Christ because God had told him about the coming Christ. He told him that it, the Christ would come through his line. And I'm sure he knew he was writing about the coming Christ, but I don't think he understood about the cross. Searching, verse number 11, what or what manner of time, now watch this, the Spirit of Christ who was in them. You catch that? Who was in the prophets? The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ. So Christ was predicting his own death and burial and resurrection when he spoke through the prophets. And of the glories that would follow, the glories that will follow is his second coming. The glories that will follow is what Peter's speaking of when he's speaking of his exodus. My exodus, your exodus, that's the glory that will follow. The salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, that's the glory that will follow. You go back to 2 Peter now and finish up. He says, knowing this first, that no, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Why is it not of any private interpretation? Who wrote it? God wrote it. Who can explain it? Only God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, that no man understands the thing of the Spirit, but the Spirit himself. So the only way that you can understand the Word of God is by the Holy Spirit. And as I said earlier, if you can't understand any of these things, or these things don't seem real to you, they seem like cunningly devised fables, then it's because you don't have the Spirit of God. Would some... Theologian tells me that he doesn't believe in the virgin birth or he doesn't believe in a seven-day creation. He believes in evolution. Well, i got to tell you, Jesus didn't believe in evolution. He said in the beginning was man. That's what he says. And so you're making Jesus a liar. That's a dangerous place to be. But when you tell me that, that you don't believe that, if you're here today and you don't believe in the creation account and you don't believe in... in uh, you don't believe in... Uh, the virgin birth, you got problem. 
You know, I love what J. Vernon McGee says. He says, uh, believing in the virgin birth doesn't save you. But if you don't believe in the virgin birth, you're not saved because you don't have the Spirit of God. See, only by the Spirit of God do we understand the things of the Spirit. And so we believe in the virgin birth not because we figured it out. I can't figure out how God could, could be born of a virgin. I can't understand how, he wo how God wove Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. I, I can't understand that, but I know he did it. Amen. You could drag me through this room with wild horses, and I might, I might deny it, but I, I, I know he did it. You can't change that. I know he created the earth by his word. He spoke it into existence. How do I know that? Because the Spirit of God tells me that. I didn't know that on August the 28th, 1989, before I got saved. I didn't believe that. I thought it was a cunningly devised fable. But on, I, don't, I don't know what date I used, but on August the 23rd, I, I meant August the 22nd, on August the 23rd, I knew that. I knew that God had created the earth in seven days by his word. I knew that Jesus is God. I knew all of those things because the Spirit attest to those things. I knew that this is the word of God on August the 23rd, 1989. That's why the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, by faith we believe that the universe was framed by the word of God. Where do we get that faith? That faith comes from the spirit of God. And where do we get that faith? It comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Well, pastor, you haven't convinced me. Some people would say that at this point. You know, even the fulfillment of prophecy doesn't convince me. Even nothing's going to convince me and change my, get me to change my life and follow you and obey you the way I should. Nothing can convince me of that. There's not, these are just good principles. These are just cunningly devised fables. And that's all they are. Let me tell you what your problem is if you don't believe this Bible. It's not the Bible. It's you. It's you. If you'll take this Bible, I've challenged anybody who tells me, I don't want to argue theology with them because they can't understand theology. But you know what I tell somebody when they tell me they don't believe that this Bible is true? You know what I tell them? You take this Bible and you go to your closet and you get down on your knees and you tell the Lord that, Lord, I will study this Bible and I will obey this Bible if you show me it's your word. And you know what God will do? He will show you it's his word, that it's not fable. See, because the problem isn't with the word, the problem is with you. You don't really want to obey Jesus Christ. And so you, what you do, what people do in this world, and we, this society is full of people like this, they grab pieces of it and say, I'm going to believe this, but the, re I, the rest of this is fable. I'm going to pick and choose what I like, but the rest of it's fable. God will have none of that. None of that. You either believe his word or you are living in darkness. And the reason you don't believe his word, because just like the Jews, you've cried out, I will not have this man rule over me. 
He will not be my Lord. And you can call yourself a Christian until you're blue in the face. But you're not until you believe this word. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. But here's the good news. When you do take this word seriously, then the light's going to shine in a dark place in your soul. It's going to light up your dark soul. And it will guide your path. And you will be eyewitnesses to the glory of Jesus Christ, both now and forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Your word is truth. No cunningly devised fables here, Lord. We believe every single word of this book. We believe you took these holy men and you spoke through them and you brought this word together for one reason, Lord, to save us so that we could see you in your glory. Now in this life we live on this earth with our spiritual eyes, but one day, Lord, we'll see you with our physical eyes. And what a day that'll be. Lord, we just thank you for all the things that you've done for us and are doing for us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.